Well, good morning, everybody. Glad you could uh, survive in the torrential downpour outside for a few minutes there. I get everybody's attention again. Good morning, everybody. There we go. Now we're there. So today we're in 2 Samuel chapter 6. You're going to open your Bibles and iPads and iPhones and Kindles and whatever else you got. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6. <clears throat> going to look at uh, pragmatism this morning and uh, when to use it and when not. But uh, going to do a little history lesson before we get into today's text. A couple questions about the Ark of the Covenant. Remember the Ark of the Covenant? Um, you don't, it was in an Indiana Jones movie, um, so very, very extraordinarily uh, broad liberties taken with the concept in the Old Testament, but nonetheless, it's, it was there. Um, so there were several things that were inside the Ark of the Covenant. Somebody tell me what was inside the Ark of the Covenant. The Ten Commandments, the second version, right? So, because the first version was broken and God did another version and that was okay, so... Um, he was even making new things new then. That was kind of cool. So there's something else about the rod of the rod of who? Aaron. Yes. Uh, so the second place dude gets some props in the Ark of the Covenant. So they're doing magic tricks in front of Pharaoh, and uh, they throw down literally, and threw down. That was a joke, by the way. They won't get better. Darla's like, yeah, it was a joke. It's okay. Aaron throws down his rod, uh, which is basically a walking stick, and it grows flowers on it, which hadn't seen that before. That's kind of weird, right? So that was two things that were in there. And something else was the manna. little jar of manna. Um, so that was the God's food that he provided for the Israelites when they were in the wilderness and they wandered around not listening. And so that was what was in the Ark of the Covenant. And it was really, really special object. Um, why was it a special object? Because God said so, right? That was one thing, right? He said, I've declared this to be special. Um, but most people feel like in the Old Testament, that that's where God lived. He lived in the Ark of the Covenant or around the Ark of the Covenant. And that's not technically true. It was a symbol of his presence. And on a very special day, Yom Kippur, a very special person, the high priest of Israel, would walk into a very special place, the Holy of Holies, right, into the tabernacle. He'd walk in and uh, go beyond the veil. And he would say a very special word, tradition says. He would say the name of God, yod heh vah the four letters that we get Jehovah from. And it was an incredibly special time because you generally only got to do this once in your life. And you didn't want to mess it up because if you messed it up, they would drag you out with a rope. And then they would have to send another guy in to hopefully not mess it up. It was a big, big deal. So today's text... Um, we need a little more background, so I hope I have put these on your handout. Please tell me I did. Yes, three Bible passages there. So somebody open up to Exodus chapter 25, and somebody else open up to Numbers 4, and somebody else open up to Numbers 7. So who's got Exodus 25? Raise your hand. Stephen's got Exodus 25. Who's got Numbers 4? Raise your hand. Anybody? Numbers 4. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers fourth book of the Bible. We're in the fourth chapter. Doug's got numbers four. Who's got number seven? Number seven? Bree's got number seven. All right. So Exodus 25, verses 10 through 15. What do they say, Stephen? And they shall make an ark of acacia wood. Of what wood? Acacia. Very good. Good pronunciation. I have no idea if that's correct or not. It's close <laughs> enough for today. All right. Two and a half cubits shall be its length, a cubit and a half its width, and a cubit and a half its height. Does it sound like God's being specific here? 
Yeah, when you get down to half a cubits, we're getting really specific. All right, keep going. And you shall overlay it with pure gold inside and out. So I have a question for you. Was the ark made of wood or was the ark made of gold? Yes. It is, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of both. Um, it, I, I read a commentary this week that talked about uh, how the ark is a type of Christ in the Old Testament because is Jesus man or is Jesus God? Well, yes, actually. So the neat parallels here for how God's setting things up to point toward Jesus. Keep going. Okay. Inside and out you shall overlay it and shall make it on a, on a molding of gold all around. You shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them in its four corners. Rings in the corners? What in the world we need rings in the corners for? Okay, keep going. Two rings shall be on one side and two rings on the other side. Just in case uh, Betzalel, the dude that made it, wasn't sure what corners were, right? Okay, sorry. And you shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. All right. You shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark that the ark may be carried by them. If you, if you read through parts of the Old Testament, it sounds like God is talking to two-year-olds. You shall do this, and then you will take this and put it here, and then you will walk this way with it, and then you will sit, right? They needed, he, they needed that, right? We, we need this. All right. The poles shall be in the rings of the ark, and they shall not be taken from it. All right, so we don't, we don't separate all this stuff. It's important to keep it all together. All right, so who's got numbers four? Verses 1 through 6 and then verse 15. Uh, then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Take your census of the sons of Koath from among the children. From the sons of who? Koath. Koath. And Koath was in which tribe? Levi. Levi. This is important. All right, keep going. By their families, by their father's house, from 30 years old and above, even to 50 years old. So there were age restrictions that we're talking about here. You had to be between 30 and 50. All right, you had to have a certain level of maturity and couldn't have a certain level of age. All right, keep going. All who enter the service to do the work in the tabernacle of meeting. This is the service of the sons of Koath in the tabernacle of meeting, relating to the most holy things. When the camp prepares to journey... What, why would the camp prepare to journey? Because this is the tabernacle. This is not the temple. This is not the fixed permanent home. This is the tabernacle. You picked it up and you moved it around. Have you ever thought about the fact that somebody has to move the stuff in the Holy of Holies? I want directions on that. Right? If, if we're going to drag the dude out that messes this up, if he says or does the wrong thing, I want directions on exactly how to do this. These are the directions. Keep going, Doug. Uh, it says, When the camp prepares to journey, Aaron and his sons shall come, and they shall take down the covering veil and cover the ark of the testimony with it. So the veil actually was the covering for the ark. So it always protected <coughs> access to the ark. All right, keep going. Then they shall put it on a covering of badger skin, yep. spread over that a cloth in, uh, entirely of blue, and they shall insert its poles. Why would you pick the color blue? Royalty. Say it again? Royalty. Royalty, maybe. Are there generally a lot of blue things in the wilderness? No, it's going to be kind of obvious. This is something special. This is something different. This is not, we don't have uh, tent pegs underneath this covering. This is something really important. Keep going. Uh, there was one through six, maybe one through what, 15? Yep. And when Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary and all the furnishings of the sanctuary. So who did all the work that we were just talking about before? Aaron, Aaron and his sons. And now we get to who? Kohath. Yeah, keep going. When the camp is set to go, then the sons of Kohath shall come to carry them. But they shall not touch anything, any holy thing, lest they die. Lest they what? Die. Lest they what? How you it, say in the southern? Die. <laughs> yeah. Is God rather clear about this point? Yeah. Okay. 
I just want to make sure. I want to make sure there's no ambiguity here whatsoever. Because God says the sons of Aaron are supposed to come and they gather all these things together. They cover it with a certain thing, with a certain color. And then the sons of Kohath come along and they are to transport it. All they did was transport it. All right? So let's put that in our vernacular for our Sunday school class. At the end of today's Sunday school lesson, we'll take all these chairs, stack them how many high? Seven, Seven high. Thank you very much. It's not just God's perfect number. It's how many it takes to stack over before they'll fall over. It's actually kind of handy. Um, that's how we came up with that number, by the way. We'll put them against this wall, and if they need to be transported to another room, how do we do that? We get a dolly. There are red dollies in the hallway across the hall that we go get, slide under the chairs, and roll them to another place. The Kohites ran the dollies. Okay? The Kohites ran the dollies. The Levites, the broader tribe, stacked the chairs and put them up against the walls. All right? So that's the division of labor here. Now, there was one more uh, passage of Scripture, Numbers 7, verses 1 through 9. Bree, you have that? He prayed a prayer over it and said, this is now special, okay? He also anointed and consecrated the altar and all its utensils. Then the leaders of Israel, the heads of families who were the tribal leaders in charge of those who were counted, made offerings. They brought as their gifts before the Lord six covered carts and twelve oxen, an ox from each leader and a cart from every two. These they presented before the tabernacle. Cool. The Lord said to Moses, Accept these from them, that they may be used in the work of the tent of meeting. Give them to the Levites, as each man's work requires. So Moses took the carts and oxen and gave them to the Levites. He gave two carts and four oxen to the Gershonites, as their work required. And he gave four carts and eight oxen to the Merarites, as their work required. These are the great big dollies, okay? These are for things that you, you really can't just pick up and tote around, all right? Keep going. They were all under the direction of Ithamar, son of Aaron, the priest. He's the OCD, OCD dude in the group, okay? So Ithamar is the guy that you do this and you do this and you do this and you do this and make sure nobody dies, okay? Keep going. But Moses did not give any to the Kohathites. Kohathites, right? Because they were to carry on their shoulders the things for which they were responsible. Ooh, okay. So we have some very clear direction here, right? So everybody else got art. Everybody else got carts and oxen, and the Kohites got nothing. So they needed to work out, right? They needed to be strong enough to do the work. They needed to have the ability to walk a certain distance and carry this thing because when, when the tabernacle moved, it didn't go like 75 yards. It went miles. So they would carry the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders for miles, as far as it needed to go, covered in gold. Gold is heavy, right? These are stout dudes. They had a very, very specific job. So that's the background for today's text. Now we walk into today's text. I couldn't help it. It was just too easy. Now, today's text is all about the Ark of the Covenant is not where it's supposed to be. The Philistines stole the Ark of the Covenant. When they did, they brought it back to their place. Things did not go well for them there. Um, there were some severe gastrointestinal issues that resulted from stealing the Ark of the Covenant for the Philistines. 
and I'll let you read those passages because they're rather graphic and some of you are eating right now. So. Um, so the ark has been stolen. The Philistines decided they don't want any more part of this. They want the ark to leave them. So they put it on a cart and sent it away. Right? The cart ends up at the house of Abinadab and it stays there because everybody's kind of a little bit nervous about how do we get it from there back to here? So David says, we're going to take the ark and bring it to Jerusalem. Jerusalem had recently been captured. It was now one of David's strong cities. So David had in his mind to build a temple for God to house this thing, but he's got to go get it. So he decides he's going to go get it. So now we walk into uh, Numbers chapter, or I'm sorry, uh, Samuel chapter 6. Now, I, I'm going to review one thing real quick. Many of you are visual learners. If you see something, you will remember it. Some of you are hands-on learners. If you can do it, you will remember it. And several of you, most of you that are in this third category, you, do, you never write anything down. And I know that's not because you don't care. I know that's because you listen and you're audible learners. If you can hear it, you got it. The ark, and this is, this is actually in Second Opinions later in the New Testament, the ark had theme music. Did you know this? The ark had theme music. Here's the ark's theme music. You ready? Yep. That's right. That's the ark's theme music. So now, now here's the funny thing. For the rest of the morning, Zach's going to lead us in songs this morning, and you're going to be thinking about MC Hammer. Yes, you are. Because that's going to be stuck in your head. This is your earworm for the entire day. For the entire day. So we'll... All right, there we go. So, 2 Samuel 6, verse 1. Now you're awake at least, right? Right, okay. And David gathered all the choice men. Some of you are like, I can't believe you did that. Yeah, I can't do that. <laughs> David gathered all the... Julie said I couldn't dance to it, so that was the only thing. That was her restriction, so, so everybody thanked Julie at the end. Right. So David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. Think about this. Okay. He thinks this is a really big deal. We're going to go after the ark, and we're going to do it with 30,000 men. All right? And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah up to bring there the ark, whose name, uh, the ark of God, whose name is called by the name, the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. So the cherubim were the, the figures on top of the ark of the covenant, and that's in between those two places. That's the mercy seat. That's where God's uh, presence on earth was thought to be located. That's where, he, that's where he lived, not in the box. A lot of people think he was in the box, and this was the big error of the uh, Indiana Jones movie. You know, they, they open the box, and then God comes out. You can't put God in the box, okay? This literally, God was literally not in the box. So when you hear people say that, he wasn't. He was above the box. So verse 3, so they set the ark of God on a new cart. Did we not just talk about this? I think we just talked about this. Yeah, um, Here's your blank. It is never right to do wrong in order to get a chance to do right. You've heard me say this many, many times before. It is never right to do wrong in order to get a chance to do right. <clears throat> and they brought it out of the house of Abinadab. Now, he's of the tribe of Judah. Did we talk about the tribe of Judah, Doug, in your passage that you read? No. What tribe do we talk about? 
the tribe of Levi, and the family of that K word, right? Kohath, I think, right? Okay. And Bree, we talked about the Kohathites in your text, right? No, no Judites, right? Judites? How do you say that, Terry? Judites? All right. Got it verified. Um, and they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And how do you say it? Uzzah. Uzzah. And Uzzah and Ahio, uh, Uzzah means strength, and Ahio means brotherly or fraternal. The sons of Abinadab drove the new cart. So why didn't Abinadab drive the cart? He was probably dead. What do you think, Darla? If he wasn't dead, he was probably really, really old because the ark had been there for years and years and years. Different commentators think different things, but it was somewhere between 20 and 70 years. Okay? That's a, that's a, that's a big gap, isn't it? Yeah, it depends on how you interpret a couple different things. But it had been there a long time. And they drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God, and Ahio went or walked before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel, how many people did he bring with him? 30,000, played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments of fur, wood, on harps, on stringed instruments, these would be like guitars, on tambourines, on sistrums. Uh, that's a cornet, I, and that didn't help me at all. I don't know what a cornet is either. Does anybody know? A trumpet. Thank you very much. That you can tell how old some of the resources are that I use because I had nothing on the cornet. And on cymbals. So you have 30,000 people responding to a vast amount of music, and two guys are responsible for moving this ark. So there's a lot of stuff going on. Has anybody ever been to a worship service with 30,000 people? Anybody? You have? Where at? Was it kind of cool? Oh, it was awesome. Yeah. It was nothing like it. Because everybody was singing one tune, right? And that was pretty neat. It was awesome. Uh, several of the commentaries that I read said that at least 11 of the psalms that we have, Psalm 1 through 150, were written around this particular incident. They wrote songs for this and sung them on this day because it was so special because the Ark of the Covenant has a new home. And we are going to go get it, right? So verse 6. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor. I'm going to stop here and talk about a threshing floor for just a second. What was a threshing floor? Anybody know what a threshing floor is? You separate things here. You separate the wheat from the chaff. So, so you would bring the threshing. And it's just a flat spot. Generally, it's inside of some type of a barn so that the wind goes one direction. But you, you throw the wheat up, up into the air and... What happens? The chaff, the stuff that you don't need, right? Because you don't want to have like a chaff sandwich. That would, that's not where you're going to go with that, right? It blows away, and what is left is wheat. This is the good stuff. This is what you use to bake and to cook with. It's a place of separation. The, the, these things don't happen on accident, guys. This isn't just an accidental, oh, it happened to be there. No, 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 no. This was very specific. This was on purpose. When they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. So they hooked these animals up to the cart, 
And I don't, have, you, have any of you ever actually hooked animals up to a cart before? Anybody has done this? Um, you generally, yes, thank you very much. Horses probably, right? Yes, we grew up in Shelbyville. It's like somebody here at this table has got to answer positively. Um, yeah, so I don't even know who won the grand championship last night. Do you all know? I can't imagine being this disconnected from my hometown. But Did you? Oh, yeah. I didn't think there was much. Okay. That was my side comment here for just a minute. Sorry. So he put his hand out on the ark of God and took hold of it for the oxen stumbled. So let's think about all the things that have gone wrong at this point. Because this, this is a comedy of errors at this point, right? I mean, this is just a tragedy of all the things that have gone wrong. Um, so did we involve the right people? No. Did we involve the right process? No. So we set the stage for something bad to happen. Now, Doug, there was a word I had you repeat three times that when you read that last verse... Uh, if they touch it, what happens? They die. They die. They die. Right? There's a problem. There's a serious problem if they touch it. So anybody want to guess what happens? Uzzah dies, yes. Verse 7, then the anger... I'm sorry, I missed a blank there. For the oxen stumbled. This was an, here's your blank. This was an extremely pragmatic decision that cost Uzzah his life. It was. It was incredibly pragmatic. You... You're going to be the guy that lets the Ark of the Covenant get a ding in it? You're going to nick it up because it fell off the cart? Are you kidding me? I bet almost everybody in here would do the same thing, given those circumstances, right? What's your natural instinct when something is falling? To try to catch it. I worked at a water utility when I was in high school, and we had gobs of equipment all over the place. Uh, I learned how to drive a, uh, a backhoe and a trencher. Those are cool. It's a 30,000-pound object. Digs a trench through a rock-bedded creek. Eight hours. Just shaking you all day long. It was awful. I thought it was going to be really cool. I was like, I'm going to cut a hole through a, tr- a creek bed. No, it's not comfortable at all. Um, back at the shop where all of our equipment and supplies were, we had pipes and we had valve covers and gaskets and joints and this and that and the other, and we also had fire hydrants. And most people think fire hydrants are about this tall. Fire hydrants are not this tall. Fire hydrants are about this tall. They're huge. They go way down in the ground, to, and everything's uh, cast iron, and it's really strong, and it's going to hold up over time and all these things. Well, we had several of them that were stacked uh, upright, uh, so the long part was on the ground, and then the fire hydrant part was just sticking up. So it was just maybe two and a half, three feet off the ground. Had several of them leaning up against a piece of equipment. Somebody didn't check around that piece of equipment before they started it up, and they started to move off. So the one on the end, and I was standing relatively close to it, the one on the end started to tip over toward me. I w- it wasn't going to hit me. It wasn't going to hurt me. But my natural reaction was to reach over and try to catch the fire hydrant as it was falling. My boss, thank God, he was a very uh, attentive man, grabbed me, and I'll I'll never forget, he almost ripped my shirt. He grabbed me from behind and pulled me back when he saw me doing what I was about to do, and he spun me around. This is the only time I ever remember him raising his voice to me in the three or four years that I worked for him. He said, don't you ever try to catch something that heavy. I remember thinking... Okay, all right. 
and we looked down at the concrete floor and there was a big huge chip in the concrete where the thing had fallen and hit the concrete. It didn't hurt the fire hydrant, it cracked the concrete. If I'd have tried to do that, it would have taken my hand off, right? I'd be counting to like seven or eight with you guys this morning. I mean, it, that wouldn't work well at all, you know? I had somebody that cared enough to step in and not let, you like that? I said seven. I said, well, at least you're saying I love you. Yes, okay, yeah, yeah. No kidding, right? That would, <laughs> um, but I had somebody that cared enough to stop me from doing something incredibly pragmatically stupid, Right? Because our natural instinct is to reach out and catch. And I think he was just doing his natural instinct. He, re- he reached out and smite button. That was it. God hit it and he's done. That's it. Game over. Verse 7, then the anger, literally the nose, it's the, it's the Hebrew word, the nose, because this is where the, that the seat of anger, it's where the Hebrews taught the seat of anger was, of the Lord was aroused, or it grew hot, or it inflamed against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error. What's your Bible say? Irreverence. Irreverence. Yeah. Anybody else? This is the only time in the Old Testament this word is used. Because there was never another incident quite like this one. He struck him there for his error. And he died there by the ark of God. So if you are, let's continue the scene. If you are, uh, I need, I need a, a Uzzah and an Ahio. Anybody want to volunteer? Uzzah and Ahio? Uzzah, Uzzah, Dave? All right, I got two right here. Okay. Uzzah and Ahio. So who wants to be? Uh, <laughs> they're, they're brothers. That's awesome. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> uh, and their father, Abinadab? I don't know. No, okay. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Couldn't, help Couldn't help it, man. I love, I love you. Um, all right, so, so they're driving the oxen. The oxen stumbles. Who's Uzzah? You're Uzzah. Uzzah. He goes out. Now, th- that was great, by the way. Academy Award work there. If you're a heo, what's your natural reaction? I need to change my mantle, <laughs> right? Okay. So I think it was either one of two things. One was my brother, ooh, time out, or see you, bud, <laughs> right? And the Bible doesn't tell us which one it was. Bring me my brown pants. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. We've diverged now, haven't we? This is really bad. All right. Thank you, guys. So the dude dies right there, and his brother is right there with him, right? His brother is walking in front. Uzal's in the back. He touches the ark. He dies. He's a few feet away. What do they do? What do they do? Yeah, exactly, right? I mean, we're going to keep some distance here. This is my brother just died. He's dead. He's laying on the ground. What do we do? Well, next week's Sunday school class is all about the reaction to all of this. But there's a lot of lessons to be learned from the life of Uzzah, the life and death of Uzzah. So you say, Jim, what's the point? I'm glad you asked. Number one, if you read this text before knowing the three other texts that we read, would you be exceedingly confused at why God was angry? What did he do? 
He did something that would be completely rational. Completely and totally rational and totally and completely wrong. Number one, on the application, what's the point? Context is critical to properly understanding the Bible. You think? Just maybe. Get a little context. So what do I do? Always start with the background. Always start with the background. Number two, it is, see if you guys can answer this one. Never write to do wrong in order to get a chance to do right. Ever, ever, ever. So what do I do? Seek righteousness. Pursue after holiness and godliness. Number three, this is uh, J. Burton Kaufman's commentary. None of God's commandments are trivial. They're not. And none of them, this is the rest of the quote that I didn't put in your hand out, and none of them may be violated with impunity. It would be difficult to imagine any smaller sin than that of Adam and Eve eating the forbidden tree. Right? That didn't sound like a big deal. They ate a little fruit. But it changed everything. So what do I do with that? Know and obey all of God's commands. Because we're on the hook for all of them. Uh, Number four, leaders have a responsibility to get leadership right. This problem was on David. Okay? It's his responsibility to know what to do and how to do it. Now, I think Uzzah and Ahio should have been familiar too, right? Because I'm going to follow that up with, uh, or so number four on the, uh, on the right side, pray for our leaders. You think President Obama's had a long week this week? Or last week, because this is the start of a new week? I think so. Maybe we should pray for him to have some wisdom because this is an obscenely complicated scenario with Syria and all this and what do you do and what do you not do and how do you do it and when do you do it and who do you tell and who do you not tell. Uh, There's a reason our presidents look like they age 20 years in four years. It's because of this kind of stuff. We have got to pray for our leadership. Um, And this extends at the state level, the local level, for our church leaders, please, for your school leaders, Please pray for your leadership. Number five, laity have a responsibility to check that the leaders are getting it right. What if somebody had come up to David? One of the, Levi, one of the Levites who was familiar with the law came up to David and said, David, did you read this? This is important because if you put this and this and this together, we shouldn't do it this way. This is a problem. And what we'll find in next week's Sunday school lesson is that David was intimately familiar with what the right thing to do was. He was intimately familiar. He just needed somebody to remind him. David's personality was, I'll go off and do what I want to do, but when somebody confronted him with his sin, repentance, repentance, repentance. And that's a good leader. A good leader will repent when they see that there's a problem in their life. So number six, God seemingly allows a certain amount of disobedience. It took me like 30 minutes to word that. He seemingly allows a certain level of disobedience. So why would I say that? Because they got off the hill and they got out of the house riding this cart. How'd they get it on the cart, right? Maybe they used the poles for that. Maybe they didn't. I don't know. But there was a certain level of disobedience that God didn't kill anybody for. And then there was a point at which you do not cross this line. You have infringed upon the direct holiness and separateness of God. You say, why why is that a big deal? God says, I am special, and nobody else is like him, right? Well, if if you infringe on that, you're saying, I can engage God in a way that he has not told me I can. 
and that's a problem. So pursue holiness. Number seven, a big production does not guarantee God's blessing. Right? 30,000 people with instruments and this and that and new songs and singing and dancing and all sorts of things. We'll see the dancing in next week's lesson. Um, But a big production does not guarantee God's blessing. So obey as explicitly as God has described and always look for the heart obedience. We just finished 19 weeks in Galatians talking about this is not a checklist. And I'm teaching a lesson that sounds kind of like it's a checklist. Right? And the heart of the matter is that God is special and you do things the way he tells us to do. That's the big point. Right? It is not when we see the Ark of the Covenant one day, we're to find some gold rods and shove them through and find the Kohites. I hope they're still around, right? Otherwise, it just needs to stay where it is. I mean, God help the poor dude that uh, excavates this thing one day, right? That's going to be really, really bad because you need to have Kohites around. Um, so God will, number eight, uh, God will one day separate those who follow him from those that do not follow him, right? There will be a threshing floor, a great white judgment seat threshing floor where the shaft will go one way and the wheat will go another. And then number nine, there are things that make God angry. Is God a God of love? Absolutely. Does he have long suffering? It's amazing. The Hebrew word for nose is the idea that the horse, when the horse gets angry, the nostrils flare up. And the broader the nostrils are, the angrier the horse is. So the idea of long suffering is how big is your nose? which is kind of funny. If you have a large nose, you can contain a lot of anger before you outburst at somebody. And the idea here is that God has a large nose. So if you have a large nose, God has a large nose. That's okay. Don't worry about it. Um, And it is filled with anger. And it takes a tremendous amount before it is filled with anger and before he strikes. But he can get angry. Absolutely can get angry. This is. I'm going to tell you one more thing, and then we'll uh, do our prayer request. The uh, series that we're in right now, these Bible characters you've probably never heard of, we're going to do this to the end of September. And then October, November, and December, we're going to talk about uh, salvation and the order of salvation. What happens before the moment of salvation? What happens during the moment of salvation? What happens after the moment of salvation? How all of those impact us, how we engage with them, and what goes on. One of the things that a lot of people, and it's really popular right now in uh, current theology, is to skip over the fact that God is angry at sinners and sin. Okay? He's angry at sinners and sin. God is not happy with sin or the sinners that are committing it. Now, it's very unpopular. I get that. You, some of you will come up to me afterward and go, where is that? I'll show you like 20 places in the Bible where that is because people just like to skip over it because it's not popular. But there's a concept in salvation called propitiation. You heard this word before? It's the appeasement. It's the, the, the unflaring of God's nose. And this is what happened on the cross of Calvary. There was the sacrifice that appeased the anger of God towards sin and the sinners that had all been paid for. So this story in the Old Testament of Uzzah is actually foreshadowing of what Jesus does on the cross. Because what makes him angry is seemingly small things, and it's hard to understand, and you've got to connect a lot of dots and figure it out. But the reality is Jesus paid for all of that on the cross. And that way, if we were to stumble upon the Ark of the Covenant, I'm not so sure that we'd have to use poles. I wouldn't touch it, but 
not so sure we'd have to use polls. So that's the story of Uzzah, um, and that's the text for today. So next week, we're looking at uh, Michal. This was one of David's wives, uh, and her response to David's response to Uzzah's death. It seemed rather complicated, but it's pretty neat. Um, so make sure to read that text for next week. At this time, if you'll do your prayer requests at your tables, and uh, that would be great. Write down the name of everybody who was here today, and thank you for coming to Sunday School.